Welcome to Start to Finish Motherhood, a podcast for those thinking or already single mothers by choice, just looking for practical advice for navigating life's relationships. When you decide to have children on your own, it doesn't mean that you're completely alone. I'm Aisha Jenkins, and I'm partnering with you every step of your journey. With the trauma, I want to shift a little bit to the impact, the generational impact that trauma could potentially have on our bodies. I have pushed back so hard on this, the adultification of Black children and the mm -hmm. statement that, oh, well, Black children just go through puberty sooner and they start, you know, and they mature earlier. And now recent studies are showing that the stress of the pandemic is also showing across race groups, kids are going through puberty earlier. So can we talk a little bit about trauma and the, the impact to our bodies, what we could potentially pass on to our kids and how that might tie to early onset puberty and things like that? Yes. So we are, and I say we as like the scientific community, is still trying to figure out all the different causes of why now we're seeing across the board. Because before, in general, African-Americans do undergo puberty at an earlier age than some. Mm -hmm. But then there's something deeper that happens. So I I'm going to come back to the trauma, but I'm also, I just want to talk about something else really quick. Mm -hmm. So, okay, yes, we go through puberty early. Great, whatever. But, and we do look older, but it comes with a consequence. A lot of times when our, our young children who might have gone through puberty older or earlier or whatever, they are 13, but they look like uh 18 or 20 year old, right. then they get treated like that. Right. Physically. So one thing that's very important is that we take the time and space to treat them the age that they are. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before when I was seeing little children. I just, one part I love about doctoring is taking care of children is I had these two very tall, they were taller than me and I'm five nine, I'm a tall woman. Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. African American male, 13 and 14, uh -huh. look like grown men. And the first thing I told their mother was you have got to make sure that people treat them their age. Right. Because when the world sees them, they see them as adults, mm -hmm. but they're still growing. They're going to make mistakes. And we want to treat their mistakes like a 13-year-old making a mistake versus a 20-year-old man making a mistake. It's very different. And I remember examining one of them and I tickled his stomach while I was doing the abdominal exam and he laughed like a little kid. I was like, look, this is a child. So let's give him space to be a child. Let's not try to make him an adult, even though he looks like one, remember, always remember that this is a, you don't want to like treat him like a baby, but remember his age and treat him the appropriate age versus how he looks. So quick question. When you say look like an adult, are you, you're just talking about the physical features, right? Because I can look in a kid's face and be like, that's a seven-year-old. I have a three and a half-year-old. So I went to go sign my kid into like this, this program. And so somebody was like, is she the eight-year-old or the three-year-old? And I wanted to smack her stupid. And I was just like, oh, but, you know, she's so tall. And she, I'm like, but she still looks three. She doesn't look eight. 
And it's just like, when you look at these children in their face, regardless of how developed the breast and core area is, if you take the time to actually look and see these kids, they are still children. Exactly. They definitely are. And it's unfortunate. And I think it kind of goes back to how quick we're doing things in our society now. Everyone is moving so fast. Mm -hmm. Are we actually taking the time to look at someone in their face? Are we just like, oh, big person that right? Ever if you if I saw your children, a three and an eight-year-old, I could easily say, okay, there's a three-year-old. But I'm also aware enough to be able to take the time to look. Right. But most people aren't. Right. A lot of people are just so automatic Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to make it through that they're not aware and taking that time. So they're just seeing a body in front of them. It kind of looks big, adult. Right. Not even thinking. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's talk about trauma and the impact that trauma can have on our bodies. And, you know, as the carriers of life, like, is, is there a way that we could experience trauma and pass this trauma on to our offspring, whether in utero or through our genes? Yes. So with trauma is the, the trauma of course happens. But then after the trauma, when we are re-triggered or when we are shifting ourselves or whatever, you're at this increased stress state. So now you have all this increased cortisol going through your body that you wouldn't have if that trauma event didn't happen. So that increased cortisol in the body can definitely have effect on one, the person. But then assuming that you're also pregnant can have an effect on the fetus or the the child as well. It could affect how they're growing up. It could affect their endocrine system. So maybe that's affecting the puberty. It could affect how they develop in the womb. It could affect whether you deliver early. So if someone delivers their child early, there's increased risk of different health issues. So it could have so many different effects. So that's why it is so important and so vital that us as mothers and as future mothers and as women, that we are doing things to really look at what our traumas are, look at, and not just our traumas, because honestly it's traumas, but it's all stressful stuff. Look at how we are managing our stress because that stress is not going to go away. Even if you live in a bubble, you are still going to have some kind of stress. So having some kind of stress management practice so that you're not always at level 10 and sometimes your level two and three is very important. Right. Okay. So black girl magic, black excellence. Let's talk about that just a little bit. I think I've been on a journey to be like, I just want to be mediocre. I just want to exist. I just want breathing to be enough. Can we talk a little bit about this drive to be twice as good? And especially as we enter into new spaces, things that crop up would be like imposter syndrome, right? And things like that. So you talked a lot. You talked when when we spoke earlier, you talked about being in the yoga space, right? And yoga is typically not seen as a Black person space, but you enter into these new spaces. And do we take on the weight of trying to be perfect and quickly fit in? I came into tech. Tech was typically not a Black space. And as a Black woman in tech, in these situations where the expectation is that you be magic. The expectation is that you be excellent. The expectation is that you be twice as good and you're still going to pay you the same. So can we talk a little bit about finding space to just be and be regular and being okay with just existing in a space you love? Oh, I love this conversation 
Because one, I think that also led to my first episode of burnout was being the best. Okay, I am this doctor, obesity medicine doctor. I got to make sure I'm the best obesity medicine doctor, not just a regular doctor. I got to be the best. I got to see all the patients. Oh, let me join this committee. Let me do. No, I just want to take care of patients, Mm -hmm. do my job and go home. Yes. That. Like find the space and career where I can do that. Uh Not be the head of this and on this committee and that committee and that all unpaid. (laughs) Exactly. Just the regular doctor and then go home. Part of it is because of how we were raised and the different fights that our our parents and still people to this day, I still have to fight some of those fights that we've had to do. Uh But we... Don't have to fight those fights in every single space. I do think it is very important to find those activities. First, just find easy activities where you can just be me or just be you. So for me, that's why the yoga was important to me. When I got into yoga, I knew day one, I wasn't going to be like the black yoga girl who's going to represent them all. No, I just, I'm just taking them. No, no, no. That's not how my body was made. I'm not hypermobile. Uh-huh. Um, I was a 36-year-old woman getting into this. Uh-huh. My joints are who they are. They might stretch some, <laughs> but it's not going to be, you know, the way others are. Okay. Uh-huh. So I think me having this space where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to use these pillows and blocks and all this stuff to do it. And I'm just going to bend how my body wants to bend without being super extra was cool. So I got used to doing that and was okay with being just myself in that space. Mm-hmm. And then I could use that same sense and bring that same energy to other spaces. So then when I see myself going into other arenas and I'm doing all this extraness, I'm like, hmm, no, I'm not. Let's, I always take a moment. One of the coaches I used to work with would say, I know you can do it, mm-hmm. but should you? And do you have to right, like right. really asking myself that when I am going into different spaces? Cause right now I'm starting, I'm looking for different jobs and whatnot. So one of the big things before I even go into an interview, I already have like a list of kind of what I call my bare minimums. Yeah. I know I need a flexible schedule. I know likely part-time. I know that I just want to be able to go to work and come home. Mm-hmm. Not all the extra stuff. So one, knowing that within myself was very important, but all that came from me practicing that right on the yoga mat or in Zumba class or just when I'm at home or when I'm kicking it with my girlfriends mm-hmm. at brunch. Me just being my regular self, not this over-exaggerated version of myself, mm-hmm. just the regular me. Yes, yes. So <laughs> a funny, when you said that, I was reminded of this meme that I'd seen and it was just like, you know, will you be my wife? Remember that song? And yeah. so the older woman was just like, no. Mm-mm. And so that's how I felt when I got divorced. But anyway, that was an aside. So when you, when you said that, when you were just like, no, no. And you know, so getting back <laughs> to the topic, that is one of the things that I recommend to people who are getting started in their careers, right? Because I'm in tech. We hear a lot of people that are just like, I want to get in tech. I want to be in tech. And it's just like, I'm so nervous at these interviews. And it's just like, be nervous, but also be, be vigilant. Go in with your list of questions. Like you said, you have your list of your bare minimum. 
Like, here's what I know that I need. I'm going to need flexibility. I'm going to need a work culture that is supportive of, you know, parents in general, but also of my lifestyle as a single mother by choice. You know, so there are certain things that are just non-negotiables. That is whether I'm in a relationship, whether I'm looking for a job with my kids, just like mommy needs sleep. That's not negotiable. You know, there are certain things that are non-negotiable. So I do love hearing about, you know, I've taken control of this and I'm able to kind of steer this ship. So when you talk about creating that space where you can just go and you can just be, how do we go about doing the same for our kids? We have these kids and I actually did a podcast episode about parenting the kid in front of you. You have these kids, you have all of these hopes and these dreams for them, even before they're here, right? You've got the college funds, you've got, they're getting the house, they're running track, they're playing football, they're doing all these things, doctor, lawyer, what have you. But then you get this little ball of a child that's just like, I want none of that. I want to be an artist. I want to sing. And it's just like, Okay, right. So now you have to flip the script. So how do we go about creating a space where our kids don't have to be magic? Our kids don't have to work twice as hard. Like, I swear, it's a day thing that I try to do to the pandemic really forced me to see my kids, right? Because you could have this entire path planned out for them, but you can't plan a pandemic. And my oldest was in kindergarten at the time that the pandemic hit. And I was a reader as a child. I loved books. I imagined having kids who loved books and we were going to read books and do all the choose your adventure books together. And then the pandemic hit and there were some foundational reading blocks that my daughter did not get. And so that meant for the 18 months after the pandemic, all the way up until probably last summer, we had to work really hard on helping to restore those building blocks. And I had to really see my child. It was, I did not have a lot of my best moments during that time, but it was just like, you know, as much as I say, I wanna set excellence aside and I wanna set magic aside, I had to fight myself to be okay with her not being excellent in this thing and having to partner with her and trying to get to her level. And I mean, there were times where she cried and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible mom. And it's like, because in the moment, it's just like, we just read that word. How could you not get that word? And it just kind of felt like each time we were picking up a book, we were starting from zero. And I mean, I really struggled and I had to have a lot of conversations with her a lot of conversations with her school, it was really humbling because they were like, she's going to need a lot of help and a lot of support. And, you know, to hear, you know, your kid is working as hard as they, they could. But then as a single mom, you're like, did I fall down on the job? Because the pandemic hit me hard too. I almost lost it all. It almost broke me. And I prioritized staying alive and emotionally well during the pandemic and did I fail her right with not staying on top of her reading because I didn't have two parents in the house and one parent could quit their job and stay home and help the kids at school I was literally trying to survive they said the kids in kindergarten the kids had an hour and a half I was like that's good I did not get up until 10 o'clock and her class started at 10 15 
And that was how we got through the first from March to June of her kindergarten year. And so then I was just like, you know, did I fail her? So part of the fight and part of the pushing for her to be excellent was also me trying to say, I didn't fail her, you know, and fighting myself. Like I didn't fail her, but still I have this seven-year-old who I'm just like crying because she's just like, I'm done. I give up. And I'm just like, you can't give up. Right. And so it was just a lot. I think I am past it because we had to do a lot of work and have a therapist now, but it was quite intense to realize that your kid might not like the things that you like and for circumstances outside of both of your controls may have missed some things and, but they're still your kid. Like I, I remember talking to a mom and she's just like, you know, yes, we understand that, but it's still their childhood. Right. And so it's just like that humbled me. That made me see her for the little tiny person that she was. Right. And it's just like, and I'm getting down to the level because I had to get to her level to realize what childhood meant to me might be the same as what it means to her. So how do we create these spaces where our kids don't have to be magic and they can be something different than who we imagine them to be? How do we do that? I think part of it is how do you show up when your child, so I'm using the yoga phrase, is when your child is at their edge. So when we're in a pose and when you're like right at the limit of where your body's going to move, that's what they consider your edge. So when the child, you describe your daughter and she was reading and she just not getting the word, that's her edge. She is trying to do it and she's not able to kind of push past it. Part of it, and you've described it, described it so beautifully, one way of supporting your child is understanding where you are and giving yourself that grace and knowing that, hey, you just went through a pandemic that we all thought we were going to die every day, which is terrifying. And we all did our best. So all the practices that you're cultivating to make sure you're well is supporting your child. Right. But then also thinking of it from their perspective, she was struggling. And how do you want to show up for someone, even a child, when they're struggling? You want to support them. You want to see how you can, if you can, make it a little bit easier for them or just see how you can orient them to show them what they can do is very helpful. Listening to how you're speaking to them, changing your voice to let them know that you're not mad, you're not upset, or even saying that, oh, Oh, this is not upsetting your learning. Really letting them know that this is the process and, and it's okay. We can do it all over again. This is how you grow. Oh, you didn't get it this time. Like coming up with different affirmations like that. So mm-hmm. that one, when kids are growing up, all these phrases that we say over and over again, you can think of phrases that your parents said to you when you were younger. Like I just brought up the phrase that my mom said to me growing up mm-hmm. that I was going to make her lose her job. When you say those, not that phrase. Right. Positive phrases to your child in those really stressful moments, they stick. Right. So in ahead of time, already having those kind of in your head, you're doing great. You're doing the best you can. We can take a pause and come back to this later. Mm-hmm. Or seeing what they need in that moment. Cause maybe they maybe they're sad because they want to be able to read, but they can't. They just need a hug or they just need to do something else for a moment creating that space for them to be able to do that and express that to you or to the parent versus like how I was raised. Um, you need to sit here and get it done and you better finish it. You better make it a, like 
there's different ways of phrasing it to be supportive and not unless you succeed is not perfect. Right. So making sure that that balance and that spectrum is there. So thank you. Where can my listeners find you? Yes. Brew Wellness Collective is my business. You can find me on Instagram or you go to my website and join my email list, www.brew, B-R-E-W, like you brew coffee, wellnesscollective.com. Yes. And get those morning affirmations. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening and stay tuned. We're going to come back to the pole dancing story because I actually have a pole and it's a story. (laughs) So I'm just making a note. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Start to Finish Motherhood with Aisha. If you want to keep the conversation going, follow Start to Finish Motherhood on Instagram or email me at Aisha at starttofinishmotherhood.com. If you love this episode, please share it with anyone who's thinking of becoming a single mother by choice, anyone who's already parenting as a single mother by choice and just looking for advice on navigating it all, or a friend or family member who's looking to support someone else's single mother by choice journey. Until next time, bye now.